How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. Welcome back, everyone. Just as a reminder, we are in the Ditching Negative Communication series. This is episode four out of five, and I am using John Gottman's um, Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, the things that kill relationships in terms of our communication styles to help frame this series. And those four things are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Today, we're talking about defensiveness. If you haven't heard the other episodes, you might want to go pick them up before you listen to this one. But if you're just listening to this one to talk about defensiveness and hear that, you're going to get some good points out of it too. But I can guarantee once we roll through and make some connections, you're probably going to want to pick up the other information to help really round out what you're going to hear today. I'm so glad you joined us and I'm excited to continue with this. I hope you keep listening to the last episode where we cover stonewalling and we're going to jump right in in terms of defensiveness. When we're discussing defensiveness, especially in terms of negative communication cycles, it's always important to remember how we're defining terms that we're using, because defensiveness can be a general term that describes our willingness to defend ourselves against things that are wrong. But in terms of negative communication cycles, really what we're talking about is a pattern of using excuses and playing the victim so that the other person will just back off if they are bringing things to us or especially if they are complaining or if they are engaging in contemptuous behavior. One of the things that we see and that Gottman saw as he presented these four horsemen is that they can kind of snowball. So everything starts with a lot of criticism, maybe excessive complaining and a lot of criticalness towards the other person that can turn into contempt, which is really the meanness level, eye rolling, sarcasm, name calling, those types of things. When a lot of communication between people who are in intimate relationships turns that way, defensiveness is a knee-jerk reaction that we use to try and balance out the system. We push back on what the other person is saying. So there are some situations where we are justifiable to defend ourselves and to clarify what's going on and help bring light to our actions. But again, in this situation, when we're talking about defensiveness, it's that pattern behavior where if someone brings something to me that they don't like and I really struggle to hear about it or if they're bringing it in a way that's difficult, my response is to explain away, turn it around, make it more about them and put it back on them so that I can push that stress and the anxiety that it causes for me off of myself and on to the other person. Instead of taking responsibility and maybe even having good boundaries, we just defend our actions and decisions in a way that just reverses the blame. And oftentimes it starts the critical or contemptuous cycle over again. So if I feel like someone's coming at me with something and I push it back to them, they feel that same criticism. And especially if I'm doing it with an attitude of contempt and have kind of the mean factor to it too, that can make them defensive and just push back and forth on one another. Um, An example of this type of defensiveness would be, you know, if someone has, you know, said, hey, I need some extra chicken from the grocery store this evening for dinner. Can you grab it on your way home from work? 
person says, sure, no problem. And when they come in and it's asked, hey, did you pick up the chicken from the grocery store? A defensive response is, listen, I had the worst day today and you knew that today was going to be hard for me and you should have just done it yourself. You shouldn't have asked me to do it. So instead of taking responsibility and owning the mistake that was made or owning the part of it, it's an immediate pushback with no responsibility taken for any part of a situation. So a responsible response would be something like, I didn't. I know I said I would, and I should have said no because I knew it was going to be a crazy day. I'm sorry. I can go get it now. Sometimes we don't know why it's so hard to do that and to just kind of own the situation, but especially in relationships or in negative communication patterns that tend to cycle over and over again, if we haven't practiced safe space for communication and taking ownership of things, it can feel unsafe in moments and our brains may not even go to the space of taking responsibility. But this is something we have to get on the front end of and it's part of the reason why in the earlier episodes when I talked about contempt, It's one of the things that I get a lot of pushback on when I'm working within family systems that using a lot of sarcasm and a lot of eye rolling and a lot of nonverbal negative communication with one another breaks down and erodes the foundation of trust in relationships. And because of that, you tend to get in these defensive cycles. We can enter and fix defensiveness too, but really you have to backtrack and look at the patterns of criticism and contempt in the relationship and fix those as well. If you're going to decrease the the internal necessity to defend what we do. It's also one of the horsemen, the four horsemen, because it is one of the most natural responses because it it has some ties to our physiology. We move into a defensive mode when we feel attacked. Our bodies were built that way. Our brains um, and our nervous systems go into fight, flight, or freeze mode when we feel like we're under intense pressure or attack. While we're built to respond that way, in response to stress and to attacks, it really is not helpful in communicative situations, even if the other person is fully in the wrong. Defensiveness just doesn't help make it right. So something happens and someone comes at us with something we've done wrong and we have this knee-jerk reaction that we need to explain so that they will understand that we were, quote, right, so that we can stay in the right. And it's like, well, if I didn't do what I said I was going to do, as long as I can explain it away and say there was a reason, then you should just accept that and and that be enough and okay. Um, but the truth is that's really not enough and it's not okay. And we know this too because we don't really accept these types of excuses with our children. We continue to guide and direct them that, hey, just because you decided that you you know, that the rule no longer fit or that you didn't like the rule in the situation, you don't just get to do something different. Um, And just because you can, I don't know about you guys, but my teenagers and preteens, once they hit that age and they hit this new space where they've got all this extra um, space in their brain where they can maneuver and think about and manipulate the rules, and they come back and say, well, it didn't make sense in this situation because of all of these things. So I just figured it was fine to do it differently. And we pull them right back and say, nope, that's not how it really works, right? Um, There's a block for a lot of us in admitting that we're wrong. And again, uh, oftentimes that comes with a lack of feeling safe 
in relationships to say I was wrong and to know that we're still going to be loved and contained and taken care of and connected to even in the places where we make mistakes. And so our interactions with others in life becomes, I have to prove that I'm trying to do the best all the time so that I never feel uncomfortable in having to sit in being wrong or making a mistake or messing up. If we don't have a baseline set and a skill set of tolerating being wrong, tolerating the stress of disappointing or letting someone down, tolerating someone else's anger or frustration, disappointment, um, tolerating the feeling of having to just sit and having done something incorrect or something that we said we wouldn't do or not doing something we said we would do, or even the tolerance and skill of apologizing. If we haven't worked all those muscles out inside of ourselves, then it's really hard to adjust to them and use them within the context of a situation that requires that to bring peace and connection. So then we move into defense and all that does is push people further away. If you've done something that hurts me and I bring it to you in a way and say, hey, you know, this is what you did and and it really hurt me or this is what you did and you said that you wouldn't do something like this and your first response is defense, well, then what's my next response? It's to pull back. It's to say, okay, this is not a this is not a safe relationship or safe place. And I see this driving so many wedges between people in all types of relationships um, that it's really something we have to put focus on on purpose. And I talk, there are a lot of things that we talk about and use kind of the running or working out metaphor because people have a structure in their brain. Um, and we understand and accept that when you're learning to work out your body and you haven't worked out your body in a long time, you can't expect to just go to the gym or go start running and be able to run a 5k or do an hour on the treadmill or the elliptical or lift the amount of weights that you did you know in college when you were working out regularly or something none of those things are possible and we know that because our body has limits and we have to work up and do a little at a time and build those skills in the same way these types of interpersonal skills have to be practiced and built a huge gap here in terms of my work with couples and families. Um, when I've done counseling in the past with relationships, um, whether that's within a family system or just between two people, there's a huge gap in the expectation that you have to actually work on these skills and you have to practice them, meaning you might try and fail and come back to it and learn what you did wrong and try again in what's called a meta process. Anytime we use the word meta, it's like a step back. So if I say that you were meta thinking, then we're thinking about what we're thinking. If we're meta processing, then we're processing the processing the process. Um, these meta situations are so important in per, interpersonal growth and in relational growth because as we work out the processes and figure out how to do things right, it gives us more open doors to connect to one another and it really stretches those internal muscles that allows us to practice this better in the future. This is across all ages. This is across all skill level automatically. And the one myth that I have to bust constantly with this is that these practices, being kind with our words, tolerating being wrong, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, being less defensive, these are not personality traits. 
They are not directly associated um, with something that is inborn that you don't really have the option to touch. A lot of people would like to think that they are, especially if there are areas of struggle that, you know, we identify that, well, this is just part of who I am. The truth is, is that a lot of our personality traits may influence how we communicate, but a huge factor in how we communicate is how we learn to communicate growing up. People who had parents and family systems that had learned good communication skills and practiced those, pick those up along the way too. Um, for those who didn't, you might have started out behind. The beauty of all of this is the minute that you start using it, it starts working. And the more you use it, the better it works and the stronger it gets. And the less you use it, the less it works well and the more dissatisfied people tend to be with their relationships. So if defensiveness specifically is something that you that you find yourself falling into the trap of, then when you recognize it, you don't just let it go. You don't just move on. You have to turn around and meta-communicate and meta-process the situation. So if I'm very defensive with my spouse or with even my kids or with friends, and I recognize that in myself, it's something that I'm going to want to have a conversation with them about outside of the situation of being defensive. You can't have those conversations within. So the meta process is always removed from the emotional situation that it happens in. So you pick a time that is far different from a situation where you might be having an argument where one or both of you might be defensive and say, I've noticed that we use a lot of defensiveness. I'd like to just unpack that and talk about it and see what's going on here. We both tend to be really defensive or I found I tend to be really defensive and this is new for me and I, you know, I want to do things differently. So you start to look at it for what it is, name it for what it is and make sure that you don't just let it go and find your accountability Decide who you can listen to and who you trust to speak into this part of you, too. If you have close relationships and people who know you, they've probably noticed it. They may not have ever said anything about it because they may love you and hold you and contain you and accept you in all of those spaces. But they might also be safe people to talk to you about what they see and maybe instances that you tend to be more defensive in. You verbally take responsibility for your part, even if it's not all you. The interesting thing about this is the unlock for defensiveness is to fully accept all the responsibility that's yours, no matter what the other person accepts responsibility for. So in a situation like the picking up food for dinner um, or an ingredient for dinner example earlier, even if all of the actions were justified, I had a complete snowball day at work. I could barely see straight. I was crying at my desk at work because I was so overwhelmed and um, it completely slipped my mind. All of those things may be true, but they're not counterintuitive to being able to say, however, I said I would do something and I didn't do it and I didn't come through in this situation and I take full responsibility for that. We learn to integrate those realities, that both can exist in the same space, and one of them does not have to take precedence over the other. They can live together in the same place. We don't have to pendulum swing and say, I'm either all right or all wrong. You're either all right or all wrong. One of us is all right or all wrong in this space, and it's definitely not going to be me. Taking all the blame is no more healthy than taking none of the blame. So it ha we have to move away from this all or nothing mentality when it comes to blame sharing and especially in frustrating situations. 
Now, working with kids on this includes teaching them about why defensiveness isn't helpful. We call this, in counseling, we call it psychoeducation. So I might teach something about someone about anxiety before I teach them uh, tools and tricks to calm their anxiety so that they know more about it. Um, defensiveness is one of those things that it really does take some some teaching to our kids about what defensiveness is and why it's not helpful to help them understand the idea so that when we're working with it in the moment, they realize that they're not just being attacked more. Um, when we do something wrong and we defend it instead of taking responsibility, it doesn't open a door for better activity in the future. It just communicates that I don't have to keep my word of responsibilities if I decide there's a reason not to. And when we can explain that to our kids and say, we take full responsibility here, we own all the choices that we make, even if they were the wrong choices, then we open the door for them to connect to us in the spaces where they are struggling too. Kids are often most defensive when they are in trouble or at the risk of being in trouble and are trying to avoid consequences, right? It's that, you know, jerk knee-jerk reaction to explain the stories and, you know, move in a hundred different directions and explain all the caveats as to why what I did was fine. When we teach them about defensiveness and we explain to them and kind of meta-process our parenting process with them, especially as they get older and use more language and have more um, concrete skills for logically considering processes, um, so especially once they hit around the age of seven, we can really meta-process our parenting with them sometimes. Um, my kids know, and we tell them a lot, that it's our job to teach and grow them. And so I tell them, I can explain, make connections, I can point and direct, but you're completely free and in control of yourself. My job is to balance your privileges and the discipline that I put in place to help grow you. You're in complete control on the front side. You get to make all the decisions first that really guide how I respond. My job is to use um, grace and guidance or hard stops and discipline to help you grow depending on what you're doing on that front side. So my grace and guidance can exist in humility. When you are humble and you can admit what you've done wrong and you, you can put yourself in an emotional and mental space to hear and take in, I have to do a lot less judgment and discipline in the space because when you get defensive and you say, well, I didn't even do anything wrong, there's no reason to have this conversation, not only is it my job to guide you to help you grow, but I have to convince you that it was wrong no matter what. That's a whole lot of judgment and, you know, dis discipline and consequences that might not have to be there if you'll sit in the space of owning what you've done. So when you say, I'm sorry, I didn't realize what I was doing, help me, it invites a new level of accountability. It's not a big deal. I had a reason for it means I have to build something to show you that it was wrong before we can even get to the space to build new skills for what just happened. That reprocesses accountability as the vehicle for moving forward uh, and defensiveness as setting you back. So humility becomes that, that push of moving forward. Defensiveness pulls us back and keeps us in a place where we can't even fix things. Now, that's the process for older kids. With younger kids, you can start practicing language before they get there and you can fully meta-process your parenting tactics and how you're doing things. When they're defensive, you feed them language to say back to you. So you say, no, that's not how we do it. Say, I'm sorry I did that. I won't do it again. If they say things like, I didn't know, I didn't remember, and I didn't do that. 
Um, you can have them redo the situations and say the things that are right without having harsh consequences and even discipline that follows that just to guide them into the practice language. When you say, I did that, I'm sorry, then we say, okay, and move on unless it's a bigger issue that needs to be addressed and you can work that language into them. I'm constantly reminded of some research that I saw in this with young kids, and it actually was a news story. They did some research about teaching children to stay away from guns and weapons and to not touch guns if they were to see one. And they ran these um, these two processes with groups of kids to see what would happen if they taught kids not to touch guns, and then the kids came into contact with one pretty quickly afterwards. So they did these Um, kind of party type scenarios where they were all hanging out and they did an educational information event on gun safety, not touching guns as kids. If you see a gun, what do you do? And taught them verbally exact processes for what to do if they saw a gun. You do not touch it. You immediately stop and tell everyone else not to touch it and you run and get an adult. So then they practice and they sent them outside to play and there was a gun laying in the yard. And the kids who sat and heard what they should do, they had just heard it. A significant number of them still went and picked up a gun when they saw it out in the yard. So they ran a few more trials. And what they found is that if they walked the kids through it, if instead of just telling them what to do, because kids, younger kids are so concrete, and even a lot of older kids too are still very concrete. If they would walk them through a scenario or an event and have not even a a fake gun but just a block that represented the gun and had two kids stand and practice it and say if this is a gun what would you do and say hey don't touch the gun and they say hey don't touch the gun and then you say I'm going to go get a parent and they wait and the kid says I'm going to go get a parent and then they make them run and go tell an adult and they put the kids in that situation one at a time where they played each of the kids Then they sent them out to play. 100% of the time, the kids followed the instructions and didn't do it. And when we look back in the um, first episode of this series of five, I talked a lot about kids' cognitive development and how kids in very early stages are reliant on their physical engagement with the world, world to learn things. That doesn't go away just because they get older. We just build on that. So we're still reliant as we learn for physical engagement with the world while our cognitive processes kick in and we can think logically about things, we still have to incorporate that. So the the discipline for ourselves to stop with our kids and say, that's not how this works. Here's how you're going to say it. And even with my older kids at times, if they're really angry, you know, and they're maybe being defensive um, about a situation that they've had, we'll take a break. We'll, we'll, we'll take a time out with a conversation and I'll say, we can't go anywhere with this until you're ready to accept the responsibility for your actions. This isn't going anywhere and neither are you until it's done. So go hang out, take some breaths on your bed. You know, if you want to be alone, if you want to be in here, I'll sit with you. That's fine. But we're going to pause the conversation. And when you're ready to take responsibility for it, we can start moving forward. It gives them the time to reset emotionally and me too, so that we can keep working with it instead of just it becoming more defensive and more stressful. 
As usual, these types of conversations can feel a little heavy because if you listen to this and you see part of this in yourself, if you say, oh my gosh, this is something I struggle with being defensive, it's easy to start shame cycling and to feel that tornado inside do not go there. Um, go back and make sure that you've listened to the series that I did before this one about cutting yourself some slack and realizing that it's this growth process and our willingness to remodel things, restructure things, and redo. It's the whole point. The point is the process. And when we are stopping and evaluating things, if this is an area that you see you can do that with, it's one of the most powerful things you can do with your kids to model the same thing and say, I've realized I've been doing something might not be very helpful here. And I'm going to work on changing it too, because in this family, we all work all the time to do things that's good for us all. And I'm in this with you as well. So I hope you'll tune in for the next episode as we wrap this up and talk about stonewalling as a response to some of the negative communication cycles and how that really is the death blow to relationships in general. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 